when I'm working with people that I really want to change in their minds is the shape of their habits. So what is it that they're doing now that if they keep doing and there's no intervention, what health concerns is it going to lead to 10 years from now? And that very much works with the channel health. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological the podcast that allows acupuncturists and East Asian medical practitioners to listen to the diverse voices of our community. I am constantly amazed at how a few words can work like a needle, can dramatically open a person up or close them down. A couple of years ago, I heard an interview with a guy named Chris Voss, and it led me to buying his book, Never Split the Difference. It's a book on negotiation, and Chris knows a thing or two about this, as he's an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. If your first thought about FBI negotiators is that they're hardball tough and aggressive, you'd be completely wrong. They are focused, empathetic, and brilliant communicators who draw more on the psychological perspective of Carl Rogers than Vinny the Enforcer. This book and the skills in it are obviously necessary to anyone running a business. But even if you don't work for yourself... Much of the give and take in human life is a kind of negotiation. And it's not about being aggressive or manipulative. It's about finding out what the other side needs so you can help them to get it. Not so different, really, from the work we do in clinic with our patients. Recently, I caught a short video of Chris talking about how to make a good first impression. Really, this is something that anyone working with others would do well to cultivate. It's an important skill that will help us in our practices, even if we're not dealing with kidnappers or bank robbers. Chris says you have seven seconds to make a good impression. What do you need to do in that seven seconds? You need to provide an answer to the questions, do you see what I see? And do you understand what I'm facing? Before we jump to any conclusions, promises, tactics, or story of our own, can you let the person in front of you know that you understand what they face, what they fear, and what they hope for? How often do you skip this step? I do it all the time. But I've noticed that things usually go better when I don't skip it. This is a simple practice, seeking first to let the person you'd like to help not just know, but feel that you understand what they're up against, to be able to suss out the meaning it has for them. You don't have to agree with it. Just recognize it's true for them. You could think of this as a, air quotes here, business skill, but really, it's a human skill. One that leans on a curious, attentive heart and a head sharp enough to realize that without a feeling of trust, not much happens. Do you see what I see? Do you understand what I'm facing? Next time someone asks you about acupuncture, rather than launching into your how it works or how it helps elevator speech, see if you can use the first moments of an encounter to answer one of those questions for the person you're talking to. See what happens. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. 
Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I've got Renee Clorman with me today. Renee and I are sitting down for a little conversation about something near and dear to the heart of all us Chinese medicine practitioners, 
that would be cultivation practices. Now, usually when we think about movement and cultivation practices, we're thinking of Taiji and Qigong and Bagua and, you know, I mean, all this stuff that we do that comes down from the tradition of Chinese medicine. Renee is an acupuncturist. And she also has gone deeply, deeply into movement, but it comes from a slightly different stream than our Chinese medicine stream of cultivative movements. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Renee, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much. You know, I can't even remember how we connected up, but, but somehow we did. I was geeking out about your podcast. What do you like about the podcast? Well, as I've said, I love that you pay so much attention to sound. I really appreciate the way you ask questions and approach each guest. I like that you have, you know, decades of experience and can really bring that into each interview. Yeah, you're just adding something really wonderful to our profession. Well, I'm glad you like it. As far as decades of experience goes, I find often decades of experience is not helpful because it, it keeps me limited to the stuff that I already know. Often I'll be thinking, yeah, I know how to handle that, or yeah, I, I have a handle on this, or I know that, and, and the truth is, is I don't. So one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is it's this wonderful opportunity to sit down with people like you and learn something new. Yeah, well, I'm certainly ready to shake things up. I mean, I'm only six years into my work, so I know that I have a newbie perspective still. All right, we're, we're going to take a tangent here. You just touched on something that I hear people say this all the time. It's like, oh, I'm a newbie. I'm just a second-year student. I've only been practicing five years, six years, 12 years, whatever. You know, we have this incredible veneration of, I'm going to use air quotes here, the masters. But the truth is, very few of us are going to be masters. I think we got a good solid shot at being really competent, creative, helpful journey women and journeymen. We can be in that journey and we can be deep in our craft and never make it to master and do really good work for an entire lifetime. I don't know. I've just kind of got this thing these days about not putting ourselves down because we don't have 20 years of experience or 30 years or we can recite the Ling Shu backwards and forwards in Chinese. When you find something you're really passionate about and you do it for a long time, I guess that's why I say I'm only a newbie because I love my work so much and six years feels like nothing. And I know that each time I circle back to the same idea, I'm going to go a little deeper, you know, so in 15 years from now, come back to the same conversation about this work I'm doing now. And who knows, you know, how many layers I'll have revealed. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, we really do. We circle down, we circle in, Sometimes it feels like we get dizzy because, oh, God, great, this again. But, you know, if we're coming at it a little deeper, a little more understanding, a slightly different perspective, then it's new again, right? And just the idea of going slow. And just the idea of going slow. Wow. In our internet-connected world that's gone at, you know, 100 megabits, how luscious is it to go slow and appreciate that tempo and rhythm of the journey? So... You may be a newbie, but you somehow cotton to this other movement practice, which is what we're going to get into today. I'm curious to know what drew you to it. What got you into this stuff? Tell us a bit about it. 
I'm going to answer that question, but I'd really like to know how you found out about Katie Bowman and what excited you that I was doing this work. Right. Okay. Uh, turning the microphone around on the host, huh? Okay, fine. I cannot remember how I came across Katie Bowman. I listen to podcasts. I read books. I listen to what other people have to say. I'm, I'm constantly open to different influences. I might have heard her on a podcast somewhere, but honestly, I can't remember. But I can tell you this. She sounded flippin' brilliant. And the way that she talks about movement as nutrition in a sense, it's, it's a different kind of nutrition for her physicality. It really got my attention. So I got a couple of her books. I got the, the book about being barefoot, getting into like barefoot type shoes. And then there's a book on, uh, I hate the title, but it's something like, you know, it has to do with aging. Dynamic aging. Dynamic aging. Oh, God. Publishers and their titles sometimes drives me crazy. But the content in that book is fantastic, especially for people like me, actually, who are aging and they're looking to stay vital. They're looking to stay strong, balanced, all this stuff. And the way she goes about it, I think is just delicious. And so when I found out that you do this stuff, that's when you got the invitation to come to Geological. So tell us about it. Nutritious movement is a whole body program, essentially, that uses exercises and alignment markers to help people understand where their sedentary parts are and really to identify movement patterns that keep people in pain or inhibit their physical activity and or are affecting physiological health. In my work as a Chinese medicine practitioner, I'm always considering the uh, physical, emotional, and spiritual shape the person is when they come to see me. You know, as practitioners, from a five element perspective, we know that people are all of those things all of the time, but develop patterns that carve these deeper grooves and create imbalances that become pathological. Um, movement is no exception. And biomechanist Katie Bowman has spent 20 years refining and studying human movement to develop exercises that are accessible, but also really complex because when you break them down into alignment points, and she has 25 that she teaches her teachers, it's about, you know, how to move better and how to move more of yourself. And so far this material, I've spent four years integrating this material into my clinical work, and it's significantly changed how I see the human body and human health. And it's so complementary to our work as Chinese medicine practitioners. Okay. I want to get into some of these movements. We're going to do that in a little bit. But you just said something about it's really changed how you see things and how you work with people. How has it changed you? When I was a student, you want to be able to get everything at once. You want to be able to see the way that, you know, Huang Huang sees people. They like walk in the room and he's already got them pegged. And that's really hard. So this work has refined my observation skills. It's refined my palpation skills. It has changed the way I ask questions. And each of those pieces combined over the years, I've just gotten a lot better at pinpointing what's going on or quickly seeing a problem and knowing which path to take. My palpation skills have dramatically improved. 
from understanding how the body is out of alignment, how it's twisted, and being able to use gua sha to analyze like what's going on with certain patterns and then know how to ask questions based on what I'm feeling or, you know, touching. So. Wow. Okay. So you kind of have one of those Chinese medicine superpowers that we hear about. It's funny, we're circling around to this. You know, we hear about the masters. There's Huang Huang, right? My teacher in Taiwan, Dr. Zhang, you know, people would walk in and be like, oh yeah, right, Gui Tang. You know, why, how could he do that? Well, he was 93 years old. He'd been doing it forever, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, six years in, are developing some skills that allow you to palpate, allow you to look, have somehow changed your sensorium in the way that you observe that you're getting new information. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The sensorium. Yeah. It's, it's through using this really crude tool. I mean, gua sha is so, it's so crude, but it's so effective for reading. I know you could use like a jelly jar for the damn stuff. It's amazing. I use, I use a copper tool. The part that started the whole journey is I, I gave a talk to a runner's club and I offered a free consult. And there were probably 15 people in the room. I think every one of them booked the free consult. And then almost every one of them came to see me as a patient. Okay, that's that's crazy. There's a lot of new practitioners that would love to be able to pull that off and fail at it miserably. What is it that you did that got them to go, I'm coming in? Oh, in fact, I'm not just coming in. I'm signing up for some actual treatments. What did you do? I have no idea. Yeah, I really have no idea. I think I was just excited. I was excited to work with a group of people. And the benefit of it, because this was about three, I think three to four years ago, they came in so quickly. Within a three-month period, they all came in to see me. And because they're runners, I thought, well, I'll work on their feet. I would gua sha their feet. And then from that, I was doing the Katie Bowman work and I could... I didn't quite know how to assess what was going on. So I just asked them questions. You know, I feel that you have more tissue buildup on the lateral foot. You know, are you doing this? And seeing so many of them and because they were all training together, I could really get an idea of how they were moving. And then I just started gua everybody's feet. And then it became more like reading a pulse where I can now assess, are they hiking their hip out? Because I can feel the tissues you know, on that lateral edge, but it goes down into the fourth and fifth toe? Or are they always pelvic thrusting where they're leaning forward because maybe they're wearing heels or maybe they have done it for so long, they don't even realize they lean against the counter all the time. And all the tissue is really built up in the toe section. You know, the calves are really tight on one side, but not so much on the other. You know, are you left-handed or right-handed? And so I just, after hundreds of questions, I just got a lot better at it. So now I can use it for all kinds of things. Yeah, of course. You see enough cases and things come together. You were using gua sha to treat them. And then what you discovered is it was diagnostic as well as therapeutic. And it was giving you lots of information. Correct. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's really amazing what you can feel through a gua sha tool. I mean, you can put your hands on, you know, and press and palpate and all that stuff. But somehow running a tool over the tissue, the way that it vibrates things or doesn't vibrate things. It's like a stethoscope, except it's for feeling more than for sound. Yeah. And it does have that vibrating feel to it because I can feel with my hand or I can use a different instrument and it's not the same. And 
I definitely use my hands then to think more in terms of what is the channel saying, but with the alignment, the gua sha and sometimes cupping because I gua sha all over. I'll gua sha the ribs, and then I can tell how they're twisting their body or not breathing at all, or possibly what vertebra are getting really sticky, and that could be because of a hyperkyphosis, which all of us have some degree of hyperkyphosis. We just hide it really well. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I mean, I love hearing about how you you take one technique that you've been learning, you've been learning this stuff from Katie Bowman, you put it together with your Chinese medicine, you start doing the gua sha. It's amazing how these pieces can fit together. And and I love the theoretical stuff, but I also know that I can really like run myself, you know, into a place of uh, deep thinking without much clinical knowing. Walk us through a case, walk us through somebody coming into your office and how you work with them. I mean, like from the moment they walk in the door, you're probably looking at how they move. Take us through a case. Yeah, take us through a case that demonstrates this stuff. So I have a long hallway that goes back to my, from the waiting room back to my clinic space. And, you know, I'll walk out and then I'll have them walk in front of me and just watch them walk down the hallway. And so then I can see, you know, are they leaning to one side? Are they, is one foot walking out more it's not in its tracks so it's laterally rotated and then they come into the space and they sit down in the chair and so then I'm looking at you know how they're sitting are they are they slouching immediately in the chair are they folding their legs are they tucking their pelvis and then as I ask them questions so if someone comes in to see me for neck pain for instance I might throw a few master dong needles in because I I use that along with um Wang Juyi's point combinations, mostly as acupuncture. And then I ask them to stand up and we talk for a while. So I'm listening and I'm watching them move. I'm listening to how they talk about their pain. You know, is their pain... Listening to how they talk about their pain. What are you listening for? A lot of people who I see who are over 50, they associate their deterioration, their physical deterioration with age and Katie Bowman really emphasizes that 
because we aren't moving enough of ourselves, that's why we deteriorate, not because we're getting older in years. I try to detangle the two when I'm talking to somebody, but first I want to hear how they think about their bodies to me. So that listening skill has really shifted. And I, I do my best to reframe if somebody is saying, oh, I, I'm just getting old, my knees hurt, my back hurts. I, I try to reframe it for them by asking them other questions. Like, what are the things that you would like to do that you, you feel that your body is not allowing you to do? And when do you remember? Because often people have this idea of their bodies being of a certain capability, and that's 20 years ago. We talk about those aspects. And then, you know, if their neck pain quickly shifts from the moving around with the, the needles in, then I take those out and I step out and they get on the table. And if they can lay on their bellies, so we're back to the neck pain. You know, I, I put some cups on and then I am still asking them the questions. What are they doing? How do they spend their day? How are they moving? And then I'm asking the other things and I'm going through digestion and sleep and stress and just trying to put the whole picture together. But I'm also working on their calves. So I start gua the calves for neck pain immediately because the fascial line goes, there are a bunch of fascial lines on the body, but one goes from the bottom of the feet all the way up the back to the forehead. And I can get a sense of, wow, the tissue on the calf is really developed on your left side, you know, and maybe their headache is on their left side. Or I notice that you are leaning more on your right side. What are you doing all day that you're doing that? I get a sense of how they're spending their day. And from that, that's how I use the Katie Boma material to teach them ways to think about movement that will shift these sticky movement patterns that they've created over decades and educating them about osteoporosis and, you know, that this isn't inherited because some people will say, oh, my mom had neck pain, so I have neck pain. Or my mom had bunions and I have bunions. And these are, they're inherited through being around the person that you saw move your entire life. You move like the people you're around. Once I unwind the pattern that brings me all the way back up to their neck, you know, then I'll come back up to the neck because I already have an idea of what the spiral is you know, what, what they're doing that's causing from the feet all the way up to the neck, what's causing this chain reaction. And then I might, you know, look at the, the relationship of the intercostals, you know, what kind of sticky points are happening there, or is the neck pain coming from hand tightness because they're doing specific movements all day long and it's only one kind of movement. So their hands are really tight, which means that their forearms, their biceps, their shoulders up into their neck are tight. Right. They may not even associate their carpal tunnel with, with their headaches. Yeah. And it's not even carpal tunnel. It's like if you put your hands out in front of you and create, try to create a 90 degree angle with your first finger and your thumb, and then you might be able to do it in the air. But as soon as you put your hand on the floor, when you're on all fours, try to put your hand in a 90 degree angle, your thumb probably will not do it. And that's forearm tightness. And if it does do it, you might be cheating a bit by allowing the, the elbow pit, which you want facing forward, it might rotate um, internally in order to compensate for the tightness 
in that forearm to force your thumb into the 90 degree position. So that unravels all the way up to the neck. It sounds like this Katie Bowman material is very, I'm thinking channel dynamic oriented. You know, we often think about there's a problem at one end, we go to the opposite end to go work on it because they're connected somehow. It sounds like you are finding through this work the actual ways it's connected beyond it runs along the channel and so therefore it's connected. Yes. And the piece that I'm, when I'm working with people that I really want to change in their minds is the shape of their habits. So what is it that they're doing now that if they keep doing and there's no intervention, what health concerns is it going to lead to 10 years from now? And that very much works with the channel health. I mean, I think about how tight people's feet are. And if they get migraines, if you're using Master Dong's acupuncture, you go to the feet to treat a lot of these problems. You might do some bloodletting. You might throw in some acupuncture needles. So one example would be uh, medial knee pain. I've had people come in and say, God, my foot really hurts right at this point. And they're pointing to the tuberosity at the fifth metatarsal. And if I gua sha that, it just feels super thick. And part of that starts with a rotation that's causing, that will cause knee pain. It might be in their foot right now, but it will wind back up to their knee pretty quickly. If I give people these markers, they start to have a better relationship with what their body is, that there actually is a body that they need to worry about or think about. You used a really interesting phrase, the shape of people's habits. That kind of gets my attention. What other kinds of interventions do you do with people? I mean, beyond the acupuncture and the, the cupping and the gua sha, what kinds of things do you send people home with in terms of things they can do for themselves or places where they can place their attention that helps them to help themselves? The movement tips that I give in the beginning might be what do you notice about how you're standing? You know, are you leaning? Can you lean back into your heels without losing your balance? When you lean back into your heels, can you wiggle your toes around? How much time do you spend sitting? Uh, if you ask someone if they're sedentary, they will probably say no. But if you ask someone if they repeat patterns all day, I go to work, I get in my car, I come home, I make dinner, I sit on the couch, then you can start to piece together a more sedentary lifestyle that they might not even be aware of. So I challenge someone to sit on the floor if they're going to watch television or if they're working at the computer. And if they can't sit on the floor, then that's where we start. How do I get you safely to the floor and back up without hurting yourself? I might ask people to take an inventory of their shoe collection you know, how many of their shoes are squeezing their toe box? How many of their shoes have a heel? Vary or carry is another one. If I see people walk in and they have this huge bag, they're telling me, I have neck pain, I have a migraine. And then they carry this huge bag on their shoulder. I point to the bag and I'm like, stop doing that. Sometimes I'm more gentle, but sometimes they just need, you just need to be told like, maybe, maybe that's causing the problem, part of the problem. It's like that old joke 
right? Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Uh, the answer is, well, don't do that. <laughs> Sometimes it is actually that, yeah. You know, one of the things that I just heard you saying, and this is one of the things that really got me going with reading Katie's work and becoming, you know, at least passingly interested in it, the way that she talks about movements and micro-movements and repetitive movements, things that we do every day, it's like we use a certain amount of vocabulary, movement vocabulary, and then there's a ton of movement vocabulary that we don't use. I mean, this is why I think certain things like Tai Chi and, and you know some of the old Chinese practices are helpful because they're actually asking us to use all kinds of other movements that we wouldn't usually make. What you said earlier, how she relates it to nutrition. In, in her book, Move Your DNA, and for listeners, that would be the first book that I would start with if this stuff appeals to you. Oh, you know what? That was it. That was how I discovered it, her. I remember getting an audiobook of Move Your DNA. That's where it came from. It's laying out this idea of the subset of kinesiology, which is biomechanics. And you know, biomechanics studies the, the structure and function of the mechanical aspects of biological, whole biological systems, including ourselves. And, and it thence down the cells, thus the name Move Your DNA. So she, in that, lays out movement is like food. It's not optional. She says that we're receiving these signals of movement starvation that we've just ignored. And the entire book is an argument that we can no longer ignore that because so many of our 21st century health concerns are about being sedentary. Hi, potties. It's Will again. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I think the secret of success in treating the majority of digestive problems is to focus on the qi dynamic, that is, the ascent of spleen qi and the descent of stomach qi. If the qi dynamic is robust and working properly, then the system tends to naturally move towards homeostasis. Now, the way to achieve this is to use herbs with opposing characteristics, for example, combining bitter-cold herbs with acrid hot herbs. Bitter-cold herbs tend to draw qi inwards and downwards, whereas acrid hot herbs cause qi to rise and expand. When you put them together, the combination drives a dynamo and stimulates qi movement. A classic example is bitter-cold huanglian with acrid-hot wujuyu. This combination powerfully drives qi dynamic and is used specifically for the treatment of gastroesophageal reflux. The same principle is at the heart of some of our most effective and beloved formulas. For example, bitter-cold huanglian and huangqin are combined with acrid-hot ganjiang in the wonderful Banxia Xiexintang. Similarly, the rising nature of Jiagan is combined with the descending nature of Niu Shi to drive the qi and blood movement in Shuifu Juyutang. Jiagan combines with bitter Xingren to drive the lung qi dynamic to treat cough. More information on all of this can be found in the new second edition of my Clinical Handbook of Internal Medicine, which is available from Eastland Press. Now back to the podcast. You know, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about the way that the brain processes signals through the nervous system. And if we're just moving certain muscles, if we're just using certain neurons, certain patterns, 
it seems like there's whole areas of the brain that would kind of go to sleep or atrophy a bit. Whereas if we're moving more fully, if we're moving in a more embodied way, if we're using more of our physiology, I'm wondering if our brain might be more healthy. Has she looked into that at all? Is that, is that part of what she talks about? There's absolutely a brain and body connection. You know, I go back to the feet, the hands and the feet have, there's so many sensory, you know, brain sensory stimulation. I, I can't think of the right part right now. And we use them for our hands, but we don't use them for our feet. And the feet, you know, are, they're this complex structure of 26 bones and 33 joints. Right. That holds us up. That holds us straight up. Yeah. It's amazing. It's not only how you move, it's what you're moving on. So are you spending your entire day repeating, you know, a concrete to office, you know, carpet? Like what kind of textures are you touching? How much time do you spend barefoot? Because that's giving the brain all kinds of information about what to focus on. You know, oh, this person needs to balance in this certain way. This is the sensory I'm feeling. This is how... I need to respond to the way this person is moving. Learning to walk over rocks, learning to stretch out your feet with a ball, spending some time walking over grass and dirt and wood and, you know, just giving, it's like a child. Like you want to give your feet as much information as possible in order to help the rest of the kinetic chain. First of all, I love her sense of humor. She's hilarious. And I love her riff on shoes, or as she calls them, sensory deprivation chambers. Yeah. Yeah. So often I see people wearing these like foamy, squishy shoes. I go, oh, these are good shoes. They support me. And I look at them and go, how could you feel anything in there? Right. Or there's the people who come in, oh, I've got this issue. My, you know, XYZ practitioner recommended these orthotics. Orthotics is a big thing here in the Midwest. I don't, I don't know about where you're at, but you know, here everyone's like, oh, I got to have my orthotics. And I'm thinking to myself, especially after reading Katie's work, I think, great, you've got this dysfunctional movement pattern, and now you're locking it into place with this thing that holds it in stasis, basically. I'm so glad you brought up orthotics. They're helping one part of the problem. You know, someone has foot pain, but they have foot pain because they have a weakness in their ankle, knee, hips, and the orthotics help them not feel that weakness. So it's great. They can go about their day and I'm happy that someone's comfortable, but it, ideally you want to focus on the alignment element that is causing pain somewhere in the, in the process, you know, that is it ankle pain? Is it that they, there's no such thing as high arches. It's just muscular arches is a, not an anatomical term, but it's something that people use. Oh, I have fallen arches. What that really is, is they have an internal rotation of their tibia, fibia, and their feet are collapsing in. So, you know, how do you teach someone to externally, to even recognize what this means, but to externally rotate the femur and then help relax the quads so the knees have more space to move around because most people spend most of their day uh, locked. Their quads are so locked that it pulls the kneecap back into the bone and then they start to have knee pain. Or are they leaning 
up against things? Are they pelvics resting? And that changes the entire alignment. So all these pieces are affected. And that's why they ended up in orthotics, potentially. You know, we like to look at treatments in Chinese medicine. There's branch and there's root. So orthotics is kind of a branch treatment that actually is causing problems to the root. Yeah. I think about that with other ailments in Chinese medicine. What if this person had more hand flexibility? Would they get less headaches? You know, a lot of the master dong points, foot and hand, there's so many points on the hand. And I, you know, would their knees hurt less? You know, would they, if they move differently and it just started with hand flexibility, that would also lead to forearm you know, less tension in the forearm or less tension in the bicep. And the same is with the feet. If they started with this simple challenge of when I get home, I don't go right into my slippers. I challenge myself to walk on the floor for a while, or I drink my coffee and listen to my podcast or watch the morning news and roll on a ball. Um, It's just micro changes. When you say roll on a ball... Are you talking a golf ball, a tennis ball? Uh, what, what, what are you talking about here? I guess it depends on the person. Initially, they are starting out with a softball. The texture of a yoga tune-up ball is really ideal in the beginning because it's about the size of a racquetball, but it's a little squishier and it's not. it allows the foot to stand on it and move around and not be painful. Some balls are just too hard for people in the beginning. Or even just getting to know your feet, you know, spending time looking at it and figuring out where the calluses are. Where are you spending the most time walking? You know, if you have a callus on your toe, are you gripping your toe as you walk? Or are you uh, leaning in to that pad of the first toe more? So wherever we have calluses is where the the most circulation is. It's actually a good sign. And so it's a great way to recognize where you're not moving. So these would be the areas of stagnation. Not the callus. The other areas would be the areas of stagnation. So the callus is where you have more motion. Yeah. The callus is where you're spending almost all of your time moving. What about things like bunions? (laughs) Yeah. Bunions are a, it's the the first metatarsal. The phallus is, the, the, the big toe is curving in and it's because the, the first metatarsal is adjusting to a tight shoe that somebody's been wearing. What causes a bunion is wearing a narrow toe box. Your feet, especially your toes, don't have any room to move around. So they're being deformed over many, many years of wearing shoes that hold your feet almost like a cast. In fact, exactly like a cast. So women you see bunions on women because the shoe box, the toe box is so narrow, you know, in our culture that's seen as a more feminine look, but it's destabilizing the entire kinetic chain of alignment. If you put your hands in gloves and you try to do things throughout your day, (laughs) that's what your feet have been doing. And they have to carry your entire body. Right. Or mittens. What if you, what, what if you put your hands in mittens? Yeah. So shoes are, shoes are the mittens of feet. And it's not only a narrow toe box, but it's also a heel. And it's only in the last, you know, probably seven, eight years that there are more and more shoes that have a negative heel, which is no heel at all. But they're really hard to find. It's a it's a niche 
industry. So often you have to order them online. You know, you have to look for them and it's not, they don't make it easy because it's not, there's not a demand for it. But between heel and narrow toe box, those are two bunion creators right there. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I'm thinking of, well, a number of women I've treated over the years who have been cramming their feet into some sort of heels with narrow toe boxes. They usually come in from migraines. They're addicted to these damn shoes. They usually have to wear them because of the business that they're in. I know that that when I've palpated their feet, and especially if I'm like trying to slide a needle into gallbladder 41, there are there are some people, it's like gallbladder 41, I can't even get the bones to open up enough to really get a needle in there. Gua sha is really helpful for that. If the person is willing, not everybody. I offer a compelling argument <laughs> for doing it. And if someone isn't ticklish, I can generally hold their foot in such a way that it's not uncomfortable. Once I start doing it, people fall in love with it. The same with the rheumatoid arthritis patients that I have. I gua sha their hands and it really changes the deformation of their fingers in relationship to their hand. And the same with the feet. So one or two gua sha treatments and that that space between the, the metatarsals opens up. Okay. So you're looking for these areas of tightness, these areas where there's lack of movement and you're just you doing your basic gua sha technique on it, or is there something special that you're doing here? I don't think there's anything special. The tool I have, which I really like, it was made by uh, an acupuncturist in Portland. His company is called Acu Artistry and he makes Japanese tools. And one of them is a copper gua sha tool. And it has a really lovely shape to it that it works for my hand. It doesn't work for other some other people's hands, but there's one edge of it that's a little more narrow. So I can really get into the groove of each metatarsal, which helps with Morton's neuroma as well. Um, that often happens between the, you know, the third and fourth toe. Yeah. I have so unsuccessfully treated people with Morton's neuroma. Tell us about how to help these folks. Really gua shying the feet and um, the calves. And then, you know, thinking about it is guaranteed, like you're saying, that these women who come in with their favorite shoes and they have migraines and they're not willing to give up their shoes, there is inevitably 
shoulder, neck tension and a weakness, you know, possibly a rotation, you know, a kyphosis, a hyperkyphosis of the upper body. So when working with Morton's neuroma, I would make sure that I always cup the back to start loosening those muscles and then go down and gua sha the calves. And I do the front and the back. I work on the tibialis anterior because on heels, the tibialis anterior will be quite tight and shortened. I don't remember the exact percentage, but anyone wearing heels, it's, it's shortening the muscles by a significant percentage. So learning to lengthen those muscles. So in working with the metatarsals and working in between the metatarsals, depending on the severity, it could take one treatment or it could take three treatments. But often by the third treatment, the Morton's neuroma doesn't hurt them anymore. That's astonishing. And, and I'm thinking about a patient I have who's got a Morton's neuroma. I've been phenomenally unsuccessful at helping her. And she's also got this hip pain on the same side. It can go two ways. Like I said, if you hold the heel, going too gentle with gua sha will be, it might tickle them. I would start at the lateral edge so they can get used to the feeling of it. And you have to apply a certain amount of pressure, but in holding the heel, it kind of offers an anchor. So they don't, it doesn't hurt as much. And you always want them on their belly, you know, with pillows supported underneath their feet. And then as you begin, just ask them to give you feedback. Let me know if this is too much. And there will be, there will be areas. So generally someone with a Morton's neuroma, they will not be able to handle a lot of pressure between the second, between the second and fourth toe, wherever the, if it's between the second and third or the third and fourth, um, usually it's between the second and third. So you want to go in a little bit gentle. I've used moxa um, after doing gua sha and that will help soothe the area so they don't feel too inflamed. Um, I always tell them to go home and soak in some Epsom salts and not just a little Epsom salts. Like if they're not if they have no heart condition and they're not taking heart medication, then I, I say like two cups of Epsom salts in a bath up to your ankle and just soak for 20 minutes. And that, that will bring down the inflammation. And then they'll see me the next week and they'll report, you know, 50% difference. And then you just slowly whittle down. I'm just being quiet here for a moment and, and thinking about a number of patients I've had over the years that I could have helped had I known this sooner. <laughs> When you're doing the gua sha on the calf, you know, often we see gua sha, it, it's done on the upper back, shoulders, you know, you get, you get a lot of sha. It's very um, colorful and, and dramatic. Gua sha in these other parts of the body, I mean, I'm suspecting as you're gua sha in the sole of the foot or the top of the foot, you're, are you seeing much sha or is it more that you're going in and, and breaking up these adhesions? No, you're not seeing the same kind of dramatic shaw response that you might see on the back. It gets a little red, and then you can kind of see this whiteness, and that's the crunchy when you're working on somebody's foot or an area where there is a lot of connective tissue adhesions. It will have this crunchy feeling to it, and that's, that's sort of the, the diagnostic response, but you're not going to get any color. You're looking to see that, that crunchy stuff eventually smooth out and not be like corrugated cardboard. Yeah. In working on the, the calves around gallbladder 34, you will feel that tendon smooth out over time as they learn how to doing the, doing the work with the ball on the foot and learning how to 
massage the foot and, you know, going from toe to heel, heel to toe, that's one way, or just draping the foot over a ball and doing more of a fascial release where they're just holding it there for, you know, a minute um, or doing calf stretches, you will feel the peroneals change. And it's a different sensation with the gua sha tool and then palpating. You know, sometimes you get those little nodules that you'll feel when you're palpating. That doesn't come across as much with the gua sha. It's more what you're talking about, the corrugated feeling. One of the things that I've noticed in reading Katie's stuff is a lot of the movements, they're really small. I mean, it's not big dramatic stuff. This is not it probably wouldn't be good for the internet, right? Because it's it's not this big dramatic thing. It's these really small movements. And I mean, it's not just using intention. I mean, obviously, uh, you've got to use some, you've got to have some ability to pay attention to what your body is doing. But it seems to me a lot of her stuff, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's small, it's subtle. It's not big and dramatic. Yes. And that is why it is hard to compel people of its importance because we're so used to, in a culture of convenience, we're used to big flashy things. We're used to these instant gratification and it's not, it's not that at all. Some, some parts of it are, but it could be weeks. It could be years. These are slow habit modifications through corrective exercises. And that's where the success happens. It looks simple, but from experience, being taught in person versus trying to learn through a book, it's very different because the, a teacher, part of the two-year training that I did to become a restorative exercise specialist is learning how the exercises feel in my body and to learn to be really patient with doing, like you're saying, these small, slow, subtle shifts one of the ways that I feel it's changed my practice and how I look at the human body and observe is it really is a present moment experience because once you get excited about it and you want to see these changes in your body, everything you do becomes the playing field. Every movement you make is trying to see how your body moves in alignment and what's causing you to feel pain and what you were doing before that, that was possibly out of alignment or what corrective exercises you need to do. But yeah, it could be as simple as a calf stretch or a head hang, or, you know, one is head ramping when people are driving or on the computer, they'll jut their head forward and teaching someone to recognize that. And then how to, she calls it head ramping. So it's not quite pulling your chin back to get your ear over your um, shoulder. It's, it's more like backing into a carport or walking backwards with your chin and bringing it up into a, um, an angle as if you're driving up into an, you know, an uphill garage or something. It's hard to explain. I haven't found a good way to explain that one verbally. Well, I'm, I'm just playing around here with my own chin and neck as you're talking about it. it I don't know if I'm doing it right or not. You're not in front of me, but I can tell you this. I feel my cervical spine just kind of open up and lengthen. Yeah. So that's how you would know, you know, if you just push your chin back over your, to get your ear, try to get your ear over your shoulder, it's going to crunch the, it's going to compress the cervical spine. So yeah, if you're doing it correctly, you will feel this lengthening and then most likely a, 
the tight muscles of your shoulder coming along for the ride. And when you do that, you probably raised your chest a little bit to compensate. So then you have to learn how to drop your ribs, um, which is another one that's hard to do over, you know, over without seeing a person. But what you're looking for is the boniest part of the bottom of the ribs that you might feel if you're lifting your chest. You try to drop that down and have that line up with the ASIS of the pelvis. And what that will do is it will push your head forward again, and it will make you feel like you're slouching over. So you just teeter between those two things as often as possible. And it will happen. You'll do it a thousand times a day. So there's some real motoneuro repatterning that has to happen here. It, this is not a one and done. And it's not just like, oh, I'm going to be mindful of this. It's it, You have to be really engaged with it, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's where it fits so nicely into what we do you know, as an East Asian medicine practitioner, because we are looking at everything. How someone does one thing is how they do everything. Oh, man. And <laughs> I love that. You know, you're, you're trying to like unwind that for them and get them excited about feeling different. You know, what is it? What is their internal motivation for coming to see you and really trying to tap into that? And movement is a fantastic way because people feel it. You feel the difference pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and you sidestep a lot of the stories as well. You know, like we're saying earlier, people go, oh, it's because I'm aging or it's because I play tennis or it's because I do X or Y or Z. There's always a story for why something is a certain way. And it sounds like with the work that you're doing, these subtle, small corrections that you're asking people to be attentive to, it, it kind of sidesteps the story and just gets people to pay attention, well, what is my body doing or what's even more interesting, not doing at this moment? And they'll be sore. I think I was sore for six months and, and you're, they're so subtle, you can't imagine. And I would wake up sore every single day. It really shows you how little of yourself you're moving if you've just been doing the same thing for decades, you know, sitting in a car, slouching, working at a computer. And I, I, I really worry about the people who grow up now, young people who don't even know a life without a computer or a cell phone. And I look at them and they're hunched over and that's just going to get worse. Well, to keep us in business. It'll keep us in business. Yeah. <laughs> For folks that are interested, and, and I can put this on the website as well, but just real quickly, if somebody wanted to dig a little more into Katie's work, where's a couple places to begin? Her website, nutritiousmovement.com is a great place to start. She had, she has 10 years of blogging. So I think 300 articles. And she also has some YouTube videos. Again, Move Your DNA is the book that I would suggest beginning with if this work excites you. Unfortunately, she closed the certification. Um, she wants to focus on the people who are already certified. And so that is not going to be an option, but you can definitely get find a restorative exercise specialist in your area. And there's a search on her website. So you can find the closest person. There are videos that you can get. She's prolific. So there'll be a lot of resources. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. This has been a real pleasure to sit down with you and get a little deeper into Katie's work. You know, again, I, I was exposed to it a little bit, 
you know, I've got some better ideas now about how I might be able to uh, incorporate this in my work. I can't wait to see a Morton's neuroma patient who I know is coming in here again in two weeks. Good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.